0: This episode is brought to you by stratosphere.io, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. The service saves time, has a beautiful interface, and has the best data visualizations on the internet for equities. Now, our favorite features are the 10 years of data with data visualizations. This includes company-specific KPIs, charts for all the financial metrics you might be interested in, and stuff specifically for that company so for example if you're looking at a payments company you might have take rates you might have GMV. if you're looking at a marketplace you'll have GMV as well all that good stuff that can get you updated on your research process if you want to get started today for free go to stratosphere.io and start utilizing the powerful research terminal again that is stratosphere.io The link is in the show notes. We hope you'll join us on there today.
1: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay. Welcome in, everybody. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour, number 22. So we, we've been doing this for 22 weeks now, huh? The- oh. uh, or Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say almost half a year. We got, you know- consistent listeners over on the podcast however we do this on youtube as well so anyone we 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 don't care when you listen to it but if you want to watch it earlier you can watch it on youtube with about the 10 other people that do so uh but either way is fine with us uh it's fun it's fun to interact and you can get some questions in which we'll hopefully get today uh from the live chat
1: yeah it, i mean we do record it in the middle of the work day so yeah right
0: yeah probably, we should probably go for
1: some people
0: yeah it might be better to go after the market closes but you know
1: yeah anyway this uh the we, this show we talk for an hour riff on anything financial markets don't really com- come prepared with anything although i've got some stuff in the back of my mind for this week um and yeah it's it's live on youtube at three o'clock eastern time on thursdays so uh we are currently at that time do you have anything that piqued your interest this week? I, I got to say, I listened to that Joe Rogan interview with Mark Zuckerberg, and I thought it was a phenomenal podcast.
0: Yeah, but I get, did it get you bullish or bearish on Meta? I, I mean, it's interesting. You know, it was interesting for sure. The guy's got, you know, he's got some, he's dedicated, you know, but dedicated to what? Is, you, you know what I mean?
1: yeah i mean it didn't really i don't know if it changed my outlook on the investment of that is meta but i'm definitely more bullish mark zuckerberg like i that that interview made me think more highly of mark than i did before and i think part of that i got to give credit to joe rogan because i've listened to other interviews that mark that zuckerberg was a part of and you know he was giving sort of robotic answers you you didn't really get that much out of him this really like i felt like you really got an authentic mark zuckerberg which i think he is way more pragmatic and like nuanced like a like a daniel eck type than. The way he sometimes presented in the media,
0: yeah, there's definitely a narrative around what he is. It's 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 hard to get a grasp. Yeah, I mean, the the questions were way better than so many other interviews. Uh, most of the time, they're absolutely awful because they don't push, um, and then he definitely pushed them, pushed him that time, which is probably why that show is so popular. But yeah, I mean, interesting interview. I three three hours uh you know super long
1: yeah i did love how deep they went into like facebook's not only recommendation algorithm but also like decision making pro like systems around choosing how to moderate content like how complicated the the actual decisions are and then like at one point they were like, all right, well, how do you decide what, you know, like, basically, I went down this, like, what is misinformation rabbit hole? And then at the end, like, after Zuckerberg explained how Facebook goes about it, he's like, what would you do? <laughs> and, and Rogan was, just, Rogan was like stumped. He's like, yeah, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty hard. problem. Yeah, it's pretty darn hard. And I was listening to another, uh, who was it? like? I think it's The Verge has a podcast about the history of of Facebook. And then now they're getting to the last episode. And it's about the metaverse investments. And they they were talking about the Horizon Worlds or whatever their new social network is supposed to be with the Oculus. I forget what exactly it's on. But apparently it has 300,000 people, something like that. And these reporters went on there. And what was so funny is... The exact same issues, well, maybe not funny, but ironic, was the exact same issues that were on all the other social networks are happening on Horizon Worlds where you have young people, you have people being vulgar, racist, all that stuff that it's pretty uncontained. And they're like, huh, this is, you know, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) guess, yeah, this is the same problems that we've been having, (laughs) you know, just because we have these weird avatars doesn't. Change much uh but yeah, I guess besides that, bear market's back yeah bear market love, is back gotta love
1: the bear market
0: um it is so it's very back, uh although I guess we've had a quite a bit of recovery today. it was really I've, back this morning
1: I've been doing uh some just like wrapping up all the earnings that I didn't get to during the heart of the season, a few interesting ones uh best buy in a very precarious position i would hate to be them
0: really why why so well
1: they had i would say and management would probably say elevated demand last year um both with apparently like everyone took their stimmies and bought new tvs um and so they're kind of lapping that and they're seeing i think it was minus 12% comps this quarter and inventory shot up, which I can't think of like other than perishable food items, I can't think of a quicker depreciating inventory base than like, you know, cause the electron well, maybe not everything, but like electronics are evolving so quick, like they're making new uh new iterations of so many different uh technologies that like old equipment depreciates fast, I imagine.
0: Yeah, big potential for write-downs, for sure.
1: So, I don't know. They just seem to be in a tough spot. And then I was thinking like, all right, well, what is it relative to expectations? Uh, You know, it was a little better than what management guided for. And it's like, okay, but there's so much fish in the sea. Do you really want to have to bet on Best Buy when? Like, it's still a difficult business.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, I mean, you see that, I guess, Bed Bath & Beyond's a meme stock. Yeah, all these old retailers. It feels difficult. I don't know if the, the retail footprint's the problem with Best Buy, but that seems to be the problem with almost all of them, is that their retail footprint is too large. They would, in a hybrid, in an omni-channel world, you'd probably want, and with malls less popular, you'd probably want a smaller store footprint where people can like shop online and then you know the store can be useful but it's not these giant almost warehouse like things that's probably not useful unless you're a Costco so that's just a giant disadvantage compared to people that compared to companies that don't that just don't have that because they have those operating lease liabilities that are that are huge i think that, but that's not a very articulate way to put it but ironically, on the
1: flip side, I thought Chewy also had a pretty poor quarter who is kind of like the inverse of what you'd get with the Best Buy, where it's supposed to be solely online strategy. Um, Not a great quarter for them either.
0: Really? What What was it? Slow revenue growth or what?
1: Uh, revenue growth is fine, uh, thanks to pretty much increasing prices, By by a Pretty sizable amount, um but the number of people buying like discretionary items so like non like food, let's say like treats and 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 toys like that saw some demand compression, and then on top of it, I just struggle to see how they can generate any consistent profitability,
0: yeah tough low margins right if I remember correctly we haven't I haven't looked at them in a while in a couple of quarters but it seemed like the margins were so low where I just went why you know this is just a tough game to play and it's yeah I mean we've discussed Chewy before I forget whether it was on here I think it was probably with our discussion with Paul Saro on the episode where we did um, he was pitching long Petco short Chewy so I think that was when we discussed it so we're interested more in the details of of that business and why it might be structurally disadvantaged, even though there's that e-commerce tailwind. I would listen to that. But yeah, it just seems like a tough, yeah, a tough one to like a just a tough business to run.
1: And it's not super cheap either.
0: Yeah, when 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 headwinds materialize, stuff like that, you know, and basically whether we're in a recession or not. There's headwinds that are kind of materializing right now. Is maybe the best way to put it. It might be foreign exchange. It might be input costs. You realize what businesses are actually really good and can kind of determine their own fate, or what ones are really determined by, you know, macro, whatever, all that yeah, stuff. I guess
1: uh, every every business just ends up being a cyclical. <laughs> I thought. I would have thought like a lot of the companies we own it's like, oh, you know, it's not gonna be a cyclical, but
0: uh Yeah. I mean what do you you can't expect rev- like <laughs> you can't just expect revenue growth to go up for every company at uh, I guess it kind of shows to me the the way that model the you know modeling financials is sort of useless, like okay, they're gonna grow revenue at 15% for three years and then whatever. Ten percent for two years, and then they'll have this terminal growth rate. Yeah, it's never going to be like that. It's going to yeah. be bumpy. Almost every company, except in the rare, rare circumstances, are gonna. It's going to be lumpy. There's just and, gonna be.
1: Yeah, the. Uh, it's given me more respect. Like the last two years have given me. What's that quote? Respect the cycle. I think there it's it's given me so much more respect for the impact that interest rates actually have on on really everything, even if you think your company's insulated from it, and I think I have more respect now for the wealth effect on consumption habits, like
0: that's fair, yeah, I think that makes sense. It's hard to quantify what the wealth effect does, but I mean, why don't you describe what, maybe some people don't know what that theory is, but
1: all right, and maybe I'm getting it wrong, but let's say you're you're in a bull market. Your investments continue to go up. Your wealth on paper continues to rise. Your um, capacity to spend starts to increase because you feel richer. Um, and when that contracts, those spending habits also contract. Despite that never being material, actual material wealth, it's just like. The mental effect of being richer or being poorer changes consumption habits i think we're seeing that with a lot we're kind of seeing that on the top line with a lot of companies that i would have thought in particular in the retail space would it wouldn't have been super susceptible to it but i guess yeah i got kind of got to respect the cycle i guess If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast.
0: Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep-dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files.
1: Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value.
0: On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy.
1: Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location
1: near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, uh, oh, for the listeners, last time we spoke, I said I'd be going to New York. I went.
0: Oh yeah. Let's get an update. What are we, what are we thinking? How was it?
1: I didn't get a gauge on, it didn't, ch- didn't change my, uh, sentiment on the market, unfortunately. Uh. <laughs> However, and I know this is going to trigger some people because I know we have—I I can see the data. I know that we have New York listeners. Uh, a, de- a decent chunk of our listeners are in New York,
0: the greatest city. As well, what do they call it? The—I don't know. There are there's all those terms.
1: The city that never sleeps. Yeah, whatever. The city, the city that never so sleeps. nice. City so nice. They named it twice. Exactly. Uh, I Just I think there are some benefits as an investor. To not being in that city. Talk your book. There we go. (laughs) And I like, I I, in my head I thought, well, like, yeah, it'd be cool to be surrounded with that many, you know, other investors. And I'm sure there are benefits. But you get, I think, a better. I don't know. I, I think you can think slower sometimes and like actually kind of digest your thoughts a little more in a way that like helps with investing and not being rash with decision making. Like yeah. I, I think chanos has probably talked I think it was chanos that talked about it where like maybe I'm wrong but like you go into the office every day it's this fast-paced environment you feel like today's the day that you got to make something happen there has to be some big investment decision when in reality there's very few times when you should be making decisions. I think New York just doesn't help with that because it's such a fast paced environment.
0: Yeah. What? Here's a weird question How is the noise? Is it loud all the time? Like people say,
1: yeah, that's just got to be
0: tough to focus, right? You know,
1: for the first like day, like in Seattle, if you if I hear a honk like from a car, I think like, oh, they might be honking at me like yeah what's going on <laughs> yeah so i like turned my head and so for like that first day cars kept honking because it's like yeah, it's like a it's like they're speaking a language there they're like oh hey i'm here with like two honks or whatever and i kept turning it like looking around like what are, what are they honking at I, I eventually just learned to tune it out and everything just becomes sort of blank noise but it uh yeah it is very loud
0: that's got to be tough. Um yeah, I don't know. He's got good food though, right?
1: I I have some good restaurants. I I, I will give them that. I weather's went... got
0: Weather's got Weather's got to be so awful though. Just awful.
1: The air didn't feel very fresh. Well, no, what? <laughs> but uh I mean, it was like decently warm. Felt pretty humid though, which, which I'm like not used to from out here on the West Coast. Um, I didn't think the weather was too bad, uh, especially if you have like a place with AC. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's the humidity and like the coming from Washington. If, I feel like if I was there for long enough, I probably wouldn't notice the air quality. But like. The air quality was frustrating for me.
0: Yeah, the con and the and combined with like, there's a lot of concrete. The funniest thing uh, I see on like financial Twitter is when someone posts like a picture of that t- like a tiny park in New York City, and there's like a thousand people there, and they're like, "Look at this, it's awesome," and I'm like, "That sounds like that looks like hell." <laughs> you know what I mean? The, like summer, uh, I, summer. I know we keep.
1: We, we've probably lost all our New York listeners in this episode, but the. uh
0: yeah we'll transition new topic soon unless you have some final things. I
1: do like don't get me wrong, the city's pretty cool. I think it's also just like a marvel of human engineering because the amount they've been able to fit into one area is pretty crazy um and there's like there's always something to do, which is cool, but I think for an investor, there's benefits to not. Doing something all the time. So
0: Yeah, I you got a point, I think. I think you got a point.
1: We just had felt, a I just felt distracted a little bit. But uh still a cool city, and I think certainly worth visiting.
0: Yeah, we got a question here. I don't think we'll be able to answer this one. Sorry for whoever asked if you're still watching. It's what are the top five companies to invest in right now for the long term? Are you writing a Molly Fool article for me? That sorry, that's a joke, but <laughs> uh that does that's, sound like a Motley Fool title. That is a Motley Fool title. Um, that is a question that's going to be different for everyone. So I don't think we can answer that. Sorry to whoever asked. But, you All know, right, it's, a, it's a personal uh, question. Like let's for different. Spin it.
1: Okay. Let's spin, spin the question. What five, uh, let's maybe do it less. What three companies would you be comfortable just holding on to for the rest of your life?
0: Okay. So say we're young, say like, 75 years something like that
1: we're gonna be optimistic something something that's in that Roth that no matter what happens you're probably just not going to touch it
0: uh that that's a hard question we did the 275 one years last week which is almost impossible I think I would go I want to say like the Berkshire Hathaway or the Nellnet, which you know we own is a a baby Berkshire Hathaway, but the management transitions worry me there. So I think I might go something more consumer goods. I would avoid alcohol because I think there's a bit of a risk there over the long term that people transition more to cannabis and. Other stuff, and you've seen that trend the last decade or so. So
1: I've also been a little disruptive to uh, the old. Yeah, there, there's industry. there's more
0: disruption in alcohol for CPG. So I think I might go with this Hershey as my number one choice. Extremely durable, and it's not just Hershey; they have Reese's and other candies. I'm forgetting. I might go. Man, it's really hard. The other one's here. 75 years.
1: Any cigarette companies, tobacco companies? I think no, no. Can't do that. I think cigarettes will be obsolete in, in, let's say, 25 years. You think cigarettes are obsolete?
0: Uh, That's a tough question. I think in the United States, yes. If I had to bet, I would say yes. In the United States. In the United States. International, it's a lot more popular.
1: They, they felt a little more common on the East coast or at least in my time in the city felt well, it's much so more hectic. common than Seattle.
0: Uh, yeah. We're less stressed out here. I mean, look at my background. <laughs> Imagine smoking a cigarette out there. I think it's uh, also
1: just different, uh, different culture or, or different vices. Okay. Like I one Seattle's maybe more vape cultured, if you know what I mean?
0: Mm, yeah. Vape culture, cannabis culture. One, Hershey. Two, now this one might, this could easily blow, this one could blow up in my face, but no one's going to know because it's 75 years. I think I might go Costco. I like that. Three, Pepsi. Just because I might go Coke, but I like Pepsi more because of the diversification into snacks. Okay. Okay. What about you? What's your three? I'm gonna go. JP Morgan. Hey, 200. That's that's, uh, 200 years old, maybe. About.
1: I don't. I don't know. Was it not? Was JP? Was John Pierpont Morgan not the one that actually? Uh... Did he buy an existing bank, or did he start it? Because if he started it, it would have been like what nineteen or eighteen eighties.
0: No, no, his his dad was the original Morgan, I believe. So he was actually a little bit of nepotism, but it was like nepotism and the more the J.P. Morgan we all know, that's the most famous kind of took uh like the the company to a whole new level. And there was some they were in England for a bit too, but again. I think it's actually older than that. I think it it origination back to the early eighteen hundreds, which might not be a bad pick. You could see them lasting seventy-five more
1: years for sure. Yeah. So all right, JP Morgan. I'll take you up on the Hershey's. And I think I'm gonna go Home Depot.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe McCormick. Ooh, McCormick's a good one too. Spices are simple. Spices have no vices. That I did not mean to rhyme that, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> spices, right? Um,
1: we got some more questions in here.
0: Yeah, I like I like those I like those choices. McCormick is a great choice. All right, yeah, good. There's good questions. You wanna you wanna go through them? First one.
1: Uh, let's. See. Yeah, we'll take Wicks. Uh, so Sandeep asks. Considering they have a SAS like model, why is Wix the opposite of a cash cow, low growth and ten percent negative gap margins? Well, I think uh well cash generation is not the gap profitability is not actually indicative of cash generation. So it's uh but but nevertheless, the um cash flow margins have been hurt as of late. The uh there's I would say there was technically three drivers in that. And a lot of that was just increased development costs and inflated customer support costs sort of tailing off of COVID, which I think they've bared the grunt of that. And a lot of that is front end, like all the costs kind of come in the front end. So, or the majority of them do. And I think they're probably going to start to see and reap the benefits now, of uh the products they've kind of developed the the main one being the partner oriented product which I, it's what editor x is considered or is it
0: yeah that that would be editor x i mean there's other stuff too with the e-commerce build out and the wix payments build out there's a lot of product development that went into those and if actually i think the best chart to look at is um I, well i guess everyone might not have access to wide charts but you can probably look at some free resource their free cash flow steadily went up until early 2020. And then COVID hit, and they actually got a huge acceleration in growth. They had to invest for that. And on top of that, they had to invest. They were already investing into the e commerce stuff to compete with Shopify, the payment stuff, which goes along with the e commerce to compete with Shopify, and the expansion into Editor like Ryan mentioned, to embrace the partners and try to steal people over from WordPress, which they've been succeeding on. However, cash flow doesn't look great right now. You got to trust management, I guess, you know, well, like I we mentioned, say, like we mentioned.
1: essentially asking about the core business here, basically. Being oh, a software right, right, business. right. And oh, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. So it is essentially a software business. The And there was a point in time, I think, I want to say like, right as they were hitting 2020, free cash flow margins were 18, 19%. Management thinks they can get back up to 20. I think they're right. I they're claiming
0: they're-, they're yeah they're claiming that the core business that Sandeep is referencing here still has it right now it's just masked by
1: other stuff yeah so uh i guess i hope that answers the question as for the growth side of it um new website creations generally have slowed this year which they are even though I think they will eat share of web new websites that are created, if the actual growth of the category as a whole is slow, they're going to, they're going to see that. So um, that's been sort of a big hindrance for them. Um, And then also respect the cycle. I mean, they're not immune to it either. So uh, I
0: I mean, their, their growth was really, really great last year um, for investors like us who may have bought at or did buy at uh, what looks now like uh, a high price. And, you know, it was probably a mistake then. The, the comps are tough this year.
1: And they're levered the, the, more to the consumer now because of the GPV element of the business. So it's similar yeah. to, you've seen how Shopify's revenues come down. They are now, because they have, I want to say it's $10 billion in annual payment volume on their platform. They're going to once there's like an abroad if there's a broad recession, their take rate of GPV might be flat, but the actual GPV might be down because consumers just spend less on Wix based platforms. So um there is that as well, which wasn't really a part of the business prior to I'd say 2019, 2020.
0: Yeah. A lot of moving parts there, and you can see why people are uh, down on the business. But if you trust management they think that things will look a lot rosier by 2025. Um, I'd watch their investor day. I know it's long, but to get an overview, that's kind of, it gives you a great overview of what they are thinking. Um, yeah. Next question. Ernie. Yeah, got a
1: few more questions. Why don't you take next question?
0: Okay, this one should be easy to solve. How do you think the new college forgiveness affects Nelnet? One, it should be small. Uh, because it's only $10,000. However, if you're interested in NelNet uh, and worried about the college forgiveness stuff, and we don't need to go into the complications of how NelNet works, but basically they own a big loan book of student loans um, and they get paid back on that. And if people pay back their loans earlier, they're going to get a little bit less cash. In their 10Q, they outline different scenarios at the end of the 10Q about what sort of cash they'll get and when Depending on how fast people pay back their loans, I take that. Um, I check that out. I don't have it in front of me, but it's they would get less money, and every incremental dollar that gets paid back earlier, they will get less money. However, the upside is they'd get more earlier. Instead of say in twenty twenty five, they'd get more in this year and the next year. Um, so I don't think it's a huge downside for them and they're actually transitioning away from this being a bigger part of their business. But yeah, it's something to watch out for for the company. And maybe even more on their, their servicing business, but we don't need to get into a whole the discussion here. Hopefully yeah. that answered it. All right, next one. Right. Do you want to take the next one?
1: Yeah, Ross Van Kohler, I think. Uh, he says, if you weren't allowed to invest in any developed nation, where would you invest? Ignore currency risks. You were not allowed to say Korea either. Ah, oh, Japan. I don't quite. It, I don't quite understand. It, saying like, if I could, if, if I could invest anywhere, so you, can't in, you
0: can't go and you can't go and can't go North America. I'm guessing oh, this means okay. you guess, can't yeah. go in North America. You can't go in Europe, and you can't go in. I'm guessing Japan and Korea. I will go Mexico because it's, it's the one I think I can understand the best. Hmm just because uh, there's some sort of relation to Southwestern United States. I mean, it's not perfect, you know, but if I'm going to get consumer anecdotal evidence, which is important for us, I would go Mexico.
1: Mexico is probably up there for me as well. I think there's a lot of Scandinavian countries that have similar consumption habits to America. No, no.
0: Developed? no, That's developed. That's developed. Scandinavia.
1: We're going to, Come on. So basically, which emerging market would you invest in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scandinavia is the the most closest. The.
0: uh, Got a comment here that said India. India is so interesting. So interesting. But I don't know anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know what if there's really the. uh, I, I don't know what the income levels look like. On a per capita basis. So it's kind of hard for me to understand the potential customer bases for different companies there. But obviously, there is a huge opportunity just in terms of sheer uh, human beings in that country. I think that's. Yeah, why. let me
0: look at their India GDP per capita. Big tech, yeah. I mean, it's only two thousand dollars USD GDP per capita. I mean, if that gets to five thousand dollars given their total population, I mean, that would just be you know huge. Yeah, just we don't need to run that map, very
1: different infrastructure as well. So, I don't know what e commerce looks like. Um, mm, that's a tough one. Yeah,
0: Maybe, I like Mexico yeah. I like Mexico a lot better than India just because the United States kinda helps them out a bit. Even if they have like weird relationships where the the uh the leaders kind of bicker at each other in their heart of hearts, they know that they need to, to work with each other. We got a Saudi Aramco here. And yes. Uh not bad not a bad answer either. Not a bad answer either.
1: All right, here's sort of a maybe an ethical question for you. Let's say there was deep value in some Russian organizations stocks. Is that something you'd be willing to make money on?
0: Is that something I yeah, I could be interested in? No, no, not. It's That's not moral. You no, not morally. It's just I don't, I, I don't know. If I'm going to get the money back.
1: What if the securities get removed?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's similar to China, where
1: I worry about political. But at some price, isn't it still technically worth the risk?
0: Yeah, but uh, there was a good uh, joke from someone one time where they said, I ran a DCF on all the cash I'm going to get back from Alibaba. And then it was just a table of zeros from now until 2025. Or sorry, 2050. So... No matter how cheap something is, if there's the risk, like I just won't take that risk. All right. I mean, it could literally, like, right, like if Alibaba, no matter how cheap Alibaba gets,
1: what's if you've got, yeah, but there's, if you're, okay, yeah, let's say you may never get the dollar back, but I like a dollar back in cash. But if you get to the point where The market is going to assess it some valuation. That's just like the reality, even if you're not getting any cash back for the next 30 years. If it's generating $100 billion in revenue and generating $30 billion in cash every year, and it's got a market cap of $20 billion, I think that is worth the risk, even though you won't get the cash.
0: Eh. Eh. I don't know. They pay a lot. They might- if there's gotta if it's if it's trading at that level, it means that the political stuff is out of out of control. I mean, the fines they've had to pay for being too profitable is just insanely concerning. And at that point you are still betting on another person paying a higher price for it, which is you know, riskier.
1: Okay, let's say yeah, we're, we're... all of the shares outstanding of Gazprom for ten dollars. <laughs>
0: Yeah, of course, of course. But that's not going to happen. I mean, let's get realistic.
1: I got a feeling if any of those securities get relisted, there are going to be some, you know. Deals oh, there on could be the some. Table.
0: There, there could be some deals on the table. I don't know if Gazprom will go for $10, though. That's fair. I, maybe if you were a large entity, it would be worth it. But then on the flip side, if you're a large entity, you might get political pressure to divest if you know what i mean How uh, who had that stake in gas prom that they had to just get rid of was it bp something like that i don't follow that market too well but they had like a 20 percent gas in gas prom and they kind of just got pressure to say oh yeah we're just gonna write that off yeah we're fine with that and they were probably you know <laughs> smiles on their face and behind the closed doors they're like oh my god putin come on
1: man <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's Uh. I, I, I got a new question here. The uh, we just did an interview with Simon Erickson on Quantumscape, which is basically um solid state battery technology, kind of <clears throat> early innings, no revenue. But the opportunity is obviously large if things go right for them and they're able to execute on the actual um, technology of it. Would you ever invest in a company that has zero revenue? Ooh, good question. I know we're probably a little more risk averse than most investors, so I would say have you ever? Have I ever like at any at, at any point?
0: Ooh, have I? I don't think so. I don't think so. I've invested in some bad companies.
1: What was that? The first stock you bought was what? You, there was, was a penny. There was a because the... Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the, the old... It was infrastructure week in 2017. <laughs> and I was starting... I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, stocks to buy or whatever. Some article came up and it was, here's some stocks to buy that will do well during infrastructure week. So I bought... I had no idea what I was doing. That was like six years ago, something like that. I'm pretty so, sure the
1: first stock... I ever bought was.
0: Now you were a Netflix guy at the beginning, right? I remember yes. that.
1: I don't think it was my first stock. I think the first stock I bought was on Robinhood. Netflix. Oh, or Robinhood Chesapeake Shwell. Energy.
0: They got you on that Chesapeake well,
1: Energy grant. I'm, I'm sure I was granted some shares. And you know what? I bet if I would have held that, it'd be all right. The uh, I wonder what it okay. trades at today. Chesapeake, the, uh,
0: Ener- Chesapeake Energy, CHK. Let's guess. I mean, they were giving it away
1: for like three bucks. Wait, no, never mind. Must have been because natural split. gas. I'm pretty sure I thought they were giving it away for like three bucks, but there's no. no way they out.
0: must have recapitalized because it's at a hundred dollars a share now, and it's no way it was that low of a market cap before then. Um, it shows trading back to 2021, so maybe it was recapitalized. But back to the question, pre-revenue, I would. Yes, but it just depends. I'm not really a big like usually if something's pre-revenue it's either uh pharmaceuticals uh that's just a no-go for me and then it's also either something like quantumscape which is based on really really advanced technology, innovative whatever areas and I don't like that either. So if there was a pre-revenue company in the niches we like to invest in maybe um but those never really materialize so maybe if there is a pre-revenue
1: game studio right yeah that, you know it like there was hasn't a, thrown out a monetization strategy yet
0: yeah and they had the head of a studio that we trusted that ha- worked somewhere that we really trusted yeah but like something like QuantumScape, that's just not where I like to invest doesn't mean quantum going to be a bad or good investment here or doesn't mean that those type of investments won't work because they're almost you know we talked about in the interviews almost like pharmaceuticals um
1: yeah we've got some uh we got some interesting comments
0: here yeah the uh quantum scape 50 billion mark yeah i mean that was i don't
1: know they've gotten to that point that's what what's the most Insane valuation you've ever seen on a stock. Uh,
0: well, I think we can sum it up to three. QuantumScape, when it was like at seventy billion, I think, or maybe it maybe didn't get hit hit seventy billion, and that was basically Simon was saying. Now, when it has a market cap of like four and a half billion, he was like, "Look, the you know, we could probably hit a market cap of fifty to one hundred billion if things go right." By 2030, and that was already happening. Like, and that's that you know, it's risky. It might not happen, and that was already getting priced in back in 2021. Second, Rivian pre-revenue. I mean, that was over 100 billion. And then third, um, I mean Nikola. Te- uh, well, Nick. Okay, well, it's it four, Then Nikola. Yes, yes. I mean, these are all EV companies. And fourth, Tesla over a trillion. That.
1: What about Tilray in like what was it 2018? 2018?
0: that was a good one too. 420 price to sales. I remember hitting that. I remember it hitting that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was tough. The yeah. I don't. Down
0: 77%.
1: Those were, you know what, now that I think about it, I mean, obviously we knew it even kind of during, like, I think it was blatantly obvious, but there were, those are probably, we're going to look back on some of, We'll probably look back and see those as some of the most overvalued stocks of all time.
0: Which ones? The cannabis or the electric vehicles?
1: Well, electric vehicles. Yeah,
0: more dollars. they was just way bigger. The cannabis bubble was nice and fun and insulated,
1: <laughs> really small. Yeah, yeah it was kind of that was niche, but uh, yeah, for sure those. And you know, what's funny we were when we were saying like, I said like this feels. A bunch of people said this, but there's some parallels to the dot-com bubble. People said, well, those were companies getting insane valuations with no revenue. That's different. That was, there was no, it wasn't different. We're experiencing the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. What's funny. Yeah, it was. Di- well, I mean, you could argue it was a tech bubble-ish before we got the SPAC with, with people with companies that were generating revenue. You know, there there were some strong arguments that companies like DoorDash, Uber, um, I guess WeWork didn't really go public, but there were, you know, you could argue there were some good arguments out there that there was a lot of startups that were going public with unsustainable business models, but a lot of revenue. But then we just kicked it into overdrive and said, screw it. Let's just create .com 2.0 and we'll go pre revenue. You know, the SPAC craze was insane. Thank you, Chamath, for getting these out into the public markets, uh, but also, you know, shame on you, Shamath, for destroying value for a bunch of individual shareholders.
1: Yeah, I think he sold his soul in a way. I, I mean, he I'd sold some
0: virgin go-
1: He's managing liquidity, okay? He's managing. <laughs> well, I think, listen, he made a lot of money. I don't know if how much my reputation costs, but he he risked his reputation to make that money. I think everyone has pretty much given up on him in terms of investing in stuff that he sponsors. There's no, because we've seen what happens, but he made a ton of money in the process. So, what's your reputation worth? Honestly, if I could make a billion dollars to throw away my reputation, I'd like to say I wouldn't do it, but it's very possible.
0: Yeah. The process, though, is gut wrenching because. You had to just act like such a. You basically had to lie a lot, you know, for a long time.
1: Yeah, lying without lying. There was, yeah, there was a lot of. And in some cases, actually lying. The, uh, yeah, I, uh, I agree. All right. The, yeah, we got, got lots of comments in here. South Africa, that would be an interesting sort of emerging market. Definitely don't know the area well enough, but, uh, I, sounds like you say you're from there i'm south african so it was just curious we have very big companies here that have gone international richmont uh where how do i know richmont luxury were they bought by farfetch
0: no no the relationship with farfetch okay yeah, i remember covering that yeah south africa yeah i mean it's just if you're going to go with those i would just focus like something closer by which for us in the United States, Mexico. So yeah, Um,
1: that's easier to understand.
0: Here's something. Here's a topic. I guess we've already talked. We talked about buy with prime a lot. Did you see Shopify? Yeah, that was, that was fun this morning. I think
1: there's a very good chance. Shopify scraps it. They, they stop allowing merchants to use it.
0: Well, they're, they're the, let's give some context. Let's give some context. This morning, they're telling merchants they don't want them to use Amazon's buy with Prime, which is their Amazon's buy button that would impede can. on the impede on shop hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they warn, they're they warning them. They said, here, here's what they're claiming, though. And this might be one of the, let me just say what they're claiming. They're saying it removes Shopify's ability to protect against fraudulent orders and could lead to stolen customer data. This is Amazon in online shopping and they're afraid about fraudulent orders. I mean, what an excuse. Are, are, are we kidding here? Like, Just tell them it's for competitive reasons, but they can't because the, then the merchants have... A worse experience, and they can't use, you know, fulfillment by Amazon.
1: Thing for me, I, I think if they scrapped the whole initiative, and fulfillment by Amazon was still used by Wix and Squarespace, like yeah, that'd be a leg up for Wix and Squarespace. But I think Shopify would still be all right.
0: Oh, they'd still stick around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, but they're they're the most le- not levered, but they have the most exposure to payments revenue, which I just thinks makes them at the most risk to a buy with Prime rollout that's super successful. Although ShopPay is a great product. However, I just... Look, I bought some things on Shopify websites. The shipping experience is awful compared to Amazon. Maybe my expectations are set high and there's no way Shopify fixes it. Now, merchants could improve this process by buy with Prime, right? If they had buy with Prime on those websites I was on, I would be a much happier customer. So it puts Shopify just between a rock and a hard place.
1: Yeah. And you you know, that whole buy with prime thing, I I think it had honestly quite the impact, negative impact on Shopify stock. I'm starting to see that Shopify cares way too much what their stock performance is.
0: Yes. Red flag. Now, a lot of con- thought, yeah. I thought yeah. it was
1: just like, well, they're the next Amazon, whatever, you know, and I, I still think it's a fine business, but they seem to be willing to do a lot of things to prop up their stock price to, to keep it hot. Like, th- and they seem to care a lot internally from a lot of those messages that were leaked. I don't, I don't know if that's really a business that I, I don't want to own a business that's super worried about the stock price
0: 24-7. Yes, uh, I agree. And it comes back down to the incentives. So the stock-based compensation really drives that, in my opinion. And that's why I think if possible, companies should avoid that. However, <laughs> we invest in companies with heavy stock-based compensation. So it's kind of unavoidable. Now, here's a good question. Thank you, Ross, the South African. We're an international podcast. Everyone should know that. Uh, Going global. Going global. One of the uh, four listeners. Uh, Great question today. Here's the question. And I think it'll be fun. We might have to get up a list here. But if you were forced to short a company that had a market cap greater than $50 billion, what would you choose? We had a work competition with this parameter. I need to pull up a list first, but does anything come to mind for you?
1: Uh, I mean, valuations have come down so much that I think it would have to be a in a business that I think could be obsolete eventually.
0: Look, I might say Tesla;
1: it's the widowmaker,
0: but that might be one of your best options at this point, just valuation wise. Uh, I'm got a, I got a list here of the top market caps in the world. Um, one, maybe? No, that doesn't count. <laughs> what about? No, Alibaba's just. A, a trading sardine. You don't, you really have no idea what that's going to do. Maybe, nah, semiconductors also valuations have come down a ton. I mean, I'm seeing stuff here like Bristol, Myers, Squibb. Like, that's just tough. What about an energy company? That's also tough. That's the, that's also really tough because you're kind of betting on wow. oil prices. I'm looking right now. Okay, here's one. at and I know you got a big dividend of pay on that short, but you got to fulfill that dividend. I don't even know. How, I don't know how shorting works. I believe you have to fulfill, help fulfill a dividend, but if I'm totally speaking out of my ass, apologies. But at and I think it's pretty bad.
1: Pretty bad business. Um, what about Philip Morris.
0: No, 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 no. Come on. No. I think what a long
1: think? enough time frame. They could be selling to nobody. No,
0: no, not in Europe. you been Come on, they're in. They're in Europe. They will. Ne- they're never going to stop smoking in Europe. Well, never say never. That might be a bit harsh,
1: but okay. sir. So does Altria operate in Europe then as well? They do, don't they? Nope. No, nope. Altria. I thought they owns. owned some brands that did. Uh,
0: well, maybe, but it would be irrelevant. The Altria owns Philip Morris USA. Born is International has, as the company title uh, says, international, and that happened what year? Two thousand eight, something like that. When they split up the two businesses. Oh, IBM. I think I think we got our candidate here. Oh. IBM. That's easy. IBM. Above fifty. Yeah, one hundred fifteen billion. <laughs> IBM's easy. IBM. So like I, Staples. I, I, IBM's so easy. That's actually my choice for sure. We got Ross here saying NVIDIA. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's worked out well. The industry moves so fast that there is maybe the possibility for them to no longer maintain their position in 10 years. And then what do they have? But I mean, some of these are just like, yeah, they could be a short, but they're not going to like, cease to exist
0: agreed but that doesn't mean it's not a bad choice. I mean IBM I think is
1: the easy choice here yeah that's the only one that seems like a good one I'm still looking through them just not uh, there's a lot of international ones that I don't know never heard of
0: yeah Talk what does to, Micron do they're in semiconductors as well micron Ooh, activision blizzard well <laughs> no but maybe there's a lot of energy companies here as we get into the 50 to 100 billion dollar range yeah, yeah see no, ross says really smokers refreshing. gonna smoke yeah i agree smokers are gonna smoke phil, yeah, morris, phil morris they're International. no longer alive well, that's a long enough time print. I, Phil Morris is International
1: volumes are down what fifty percent over the last twenty years. In the U.S., they're down a third over the last ten years. So, I think I know,
0: but the, the, this is not Altria. This is Phil Morris
1: International. Yeah, but Altria is above fifty billion dollars too.
0: Sure, fair, fair. But as a short seller, I believe you'd have to fill out that
1: eight percent divvy. So that that would suck, and they're going to squeeze cash out of the remaining customers. But I don't. I would disagree on that. But I could also I could also write the long thesis. I think. Yeah,
0: we'll see. We'll see. I don't. Who knows? Who knows? FedEx. uh, FedEx is a good one. FedEx is a great one. Amazon, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Anyway. Uber. Uber is $57 billion. We covered them on a not-so-deep dive, so check that out if anyone's interested. But, yeah, yeah, it's not a... I don't think that's... It's probably not I a I don't know if update. I'd be...
1: I don't know if I'd feel... Yeah. All the adjustments kind of make me want to short them just as, like, a spite short. Like, just to... Like, I hate when companies do that, but... I'm not necessarily pessimistic about their future prospects.
0: Yeah, they're are they going to create any uh, shareholder value outside of their $57 billion market cap? Maybe. Well, their enterprise value is also a little more complicated than that, but uh gosh. Yeah, that I think you, there could be a good short. That could be a good short for sure. But I also think I feel like Uber is just going to, if I had to make a bet, I would say it's not going to go any, like if we look back five years from now, it'll kind of have a market cap of 50 to $60 billion. Right. Like, yeah, I can see that. Like it's hard for me to envision this being a tech giant, but it's also hard for me to envision it completely going away and being a a really good short candidate.
1: I feel like it already Um, has more employees than most tech giants though. Yeah, what's that employee count? I think they're at like thirty thousand, and like Spotify is at like five thousand for reference. I think somewhere around there. So got <laughs> and, like, and all their and all their employees
0: and the the drivers are not even counted, which is funny.
1: Yeah, no, it's just like just a ridiculous amount of employees. That's yeah. actually an insane number.
0: I know they need to fire a lot <clears> of
1: <throat> people. Um, if you work at Uber, I'm sorry, but gross prof- yeah. gross profit per employee must just be abysmal.
0: Yeah, we should have run that chart. Um, I do like running those type of charts. I like running revenue per employee now
1: and comparing ah, it to competitors. Revenue, revenue, you can't use, you got to use gross profit for Uber.
0: Well, you do, re- yeah, I guess they don't have many competitors, which uh, you know, that could be the bull case, but. I like doing if you knew revenue per employee versus you know a competitor i think that uh, that's a fine metric to use
1: yeah all right we got what five minutes three minutes five yeah three to five any closing thoughts what are you looking at this week upcoming none
0: i'm looking at my watch list of value stocks and i'm wondering why they are not going down so they get into buyer buy territory (laughs) um it's uh... it's frustrating that the values, like stocks that I look at, don't want to go down when the market goes down. Right now, what about the um, energy
1: crisis in Europe?
0: Uh, yeah, something, something's going to happen. How are you there. positioning I, your portfolio yeah.
1: for yeah. the energy crisis?
0: I am putting on some hedging trades. Yeah, no, I, am doing nothing. I, you know what? Something's going to happen in Europe. It sounds pretty awful for some, for some households and business owners in certain areas, which.
1: How are you positioning Uh, your portfolio for the unemployment numbers print?
0: Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I've been watching that show industry and that's basically what they say, but seriously, Uh, I'm not honestly doing much. I'm just like specifically, I mean, just going to, you know, crunch some data for our current portfolio. Keep looking at the watch list. What's the largest holding
1: in your Roth IRA right now? In my
0: Roth IRA, I own two companies. And it, it actually, I don't know, share Berkshire Hathaway, but that was to get. So a you, pass can say to you go to the meeting? That was to get a pass to go to the meeting. Uh, I own two companies, and it is Nelnet and IAC. So pretty boring.
1: Pretty Mine boring. was, uh, never mind, I'm not going to. Say in case too many people listen to this, and it was a small company. But I think my largest now, I want to say is Nelnet. But there we go. Like we've been talking Nelnet all day, so like you know, do your own do your, do your own due diligence.
0: Yep, I would. Yeah, it's a. Ooh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, right, we'll I got off. yeah, yeah. Here, here's the only thing. Maybe uh, here's something that I was thinking of right before we sign off. If this bear market it feels a bit kind of like a 2000ish bear market a valuation driven bear market if it is the same sort of magnitude of a bear market then we'll probably have three ish more bear market rallies that hit new lows and we've already had two if you think that this one's going to hit new lows which who knows but we've you know that's tough
1: you didn't strike and, me as a you didn't strike me as a chartist. No, I'm just
0: a historical, you know. That's yeah. not That's not that's not technicals, it's just looking at what happens in history. There's it, bear markets have strong bear market rallies that fake people out. Am I going to trade through it now but uh I I would just say
1: would you consider bed bath and beyond a bear market rally?
0: Uh no, no, I'm thinking more just broad broad market stuff. Yeah. But I think that having that historical context can be helpful because then when something okay, like you're not super surprised when we have the fourth bear market rally and we hit new lows and the NASDAQ one hundred is down fifty five percent, something like that. Where yeah it would still be disappointing for a lot of investors who maybe have more exposure to growth or maybe you know long only stuff like that but you're at least not totally like geez i never expected this to happen yeah
1: all right well that is going to do it it's one o'clock pacific time we should probably remind our listeners that brad and i are not financial advisors whatever we say or discuss not formal advice or recommendation we are general partners at arch capital so we may have and clients may have positions discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in and thank you for listening on the podcast. Thank you for the questions in the chat. We will see you guys next week.